Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tom McCarthy. So happy to be with you. Very happy to be with you today. Back from vacation, well-rested, relaxed, missing comedy, missing all my wonderful guests, most importantly, missing you, dear listener. I had a terrific trip to Germany, Switzerland, watching the efficiency and the orderliness of those people over there. I don't think I saw litter for a week. And then coming back here to this tropical crime-free paradise of Detroit was a bit of a culture shock. But it is my home, and I love it, and am happy to be back. A busy week here at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. We are putting together for today's show, it's a little bit of a Frankenstein's monster type of show for you. We're going to replay two previous interviews, one with the great Chris Catan, and then also... Uh, we're going to play a segment of an interview that we did with our headliner this weekend, Paul Pizix. Uh We interviewed him a couple of years ago, and I thought it would be a great idea to replay that in anticipation of his headlining week. And I'm making no no excuses. I'm, I'm not running and hiding from the reality of the fact that I've got very few recorded interviews in the can right now that I can produce. So until I replenish, and believe me, I've got a long list of contacts that I've got to get in touch with here in the remainder of July and into August. We've got some great acts coming into the castle. I will start getting those interviews recorded and in the can, and we will start bringing them to you very shortly. I believe for next week's show, we're going to do kind of a retrospective and celebrate. Originally intended to be the 100 episode celebration of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle podcast. And I think we're up to episode 106 now with this one, give or take. So that will be coming. All right. Before I replay the interviews with Chris Catan and Paul Pizzix, what I would like to do is tell you about the very busy week we've got going on at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle in lovely Royal Oak, Michigan. Tuesday, the 26th of July is the Comedy 101 Showcase. That show is at 7.30 p.m. This is going to be a terrific show. Again, young, up-and-coming. Well, they're not always necessarily young, but they are up-and-coming comics. They are graduates of our beginner comedy class here at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. My good friend Bill Bouchard does such an awesome job with that. And their showcase is Tuesday the 26th at 7.30. Come out and support. They're always great shows. And this show on the 27th, Wednesday the 27th of July, it is another comedy class showcase. However, this is the advanced comedy class. Also taught by a good friend of mine and our producer of this very show, Joel Fragmeni. Joel let me know that there's a lot of really good uh, do you call them students in this class? Yeah, I guess if it's a class, we call them students. Uh, but he said this batch of comics is particularly strong. It's going to be a fantastic show. And all kidding aside, I guess I wasn't kidding to begin with, but not being facetious, uh, no agenda other than speaking the truth. I love these shows. I love the showcases. I love seeing people either check something off the bucket list Um uh, attain a goal that they thought was going to be difficult, uh, the joy of making people laugh and entertaining. I love seeing people go through that process uh, for the first time. Brings back great memories uh, of my journey here in comedy. So please come out and support. Tuesday the 26th, Wednesday the 27th, we have comedy class showcases for you. Then, already will be the weekend. Thursday the 28th begins our Paul Pizzix weekend. Four shows, the 28th through the 30th. 7.30 p.m. on Thursday, 7.15 on Friday the 29th, and then there will be two shows on Saturday the 30th. The early show is at 7. The late show is at 
And as if that weren't enough, drum roll, drum roll, please. The Comedy Castle is open yet again this Sunday because we have a very, very special engagement with Saturday Night Live alum, Night at the Roxbury alum. You know him from so many things. The great Chris Kattan is here at the Castle. One show, one show only, 7.30 p.m. Chris is doing stand-up. Uh, I think there's a lot of audience interaction. I've heard their great shows. So come on out. It's going to be a good one. We've had good ones, too. Thank you for the, thank you, gosh, the the, the, the recent headliners we, we've had. Of course, great feedback from the Craig Robinson uh, weekend. Sold out, gosh, five shows. Uh, thank you to Stephen AJ, my guest on last week's episode. I hear his weekend was was very strong. And we just had Steve Gillespie in. A really solid comic that I've got. I know through some friends. I've never met him personally, but I love his act. I love what I've seen of it, and I'm disappointed that I didn't get to see it in person. But hey, I was vacationing. I can be excused. All right, let's pull up the... Oh, you know what? One final announcement. If you want to go to any of the shows this week, and we've got all kinds of great action going on at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle, you can call the castle at 248-542-9900. Better yet, go to the website, ComedyCastle.com. You can purchase your tickets right there. Very simple. So again, 248-542-9900 or the website, which is ComedyCastle.com. Okay, we're going to dial up two interviews here in succession. Uh, First, with the Chris... I don't know if this should be classified as a disclaimer, but I'm just talking. The Chris Kattan interview, I believe, is three and a half years old. It was not my favorite interview ever. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that I was nervous to talk to Chris. I was prepared. I had done a lot of prep and research. And, of course, I'm a huge Saturday Live fan. Talking to an SNL alum is always a cool thing. But what made me nervous, kind of the chain of command and the publicist I had to go through. I remember being put on hold and the publicist would jump on and off the line. And then all of a sudden, here's Chris. And it was a little bit exasperating for yours truly. And if you've ever listened to other interviews with Chris Kattan, um, he's not the most giving in an, inter- in, a, in an interview. It can get a little bit awkward. Uh, again, I don't know him personally other than interviewing him. And he was so gracious with his time. I'm grateful for that. But I know he's got a lot of fans, uh, a lot of fans in the area. And in preview of his show coming up this Sunday, the 31st, I thought you would enjoy listening to a little Chris Kattan. And after that, sorry, I'm reading my notes and trying to dial these up for you at the same time. After that, I'm going to bring you a little bit of an interview we did. uh, This is about three years ago with Paul Pizzix. He was a feature on a particular weekend that you'll hear us talking about back in, I guess it was 2019. And uh, this is Paul's, actually his first headlining weekend at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle, uh, as I understand it. So that is a big deal for any comic. Kudos to Paul. I know he's got a lot of friends here in the Southeast Michigan and Detroit comics community. So we tip our hat to you. And uh, after the Chris Kattan interview, we'll bring you a snippet of Paul. All right. I'm stepping out of the way. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle podcast, Chris Kattan. Thank you so much for doing this, Chris. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I've got to tell you, we've been uh, we've been doing the show now for the better part of the year, and I love I love hosting the show because every week I'm talking to some of the biggest names in comedy who come through town. But you are the first SNL alum we have on the show. So that, that's a little bit nerve wracking for me being a lifelong fan, your cast in particular. And I'm not just saying that. 
Oh, well, thanks very much. Yes, it was a, it was a great cast. It really was. I picked up, uh, want to make sure everyone does this too. I picked up Baby Don't Hurt Me uh, this week, and I believe uh-huh. uh, the book came out uh, last year. And uh, I love reading a good tale about show business and people who came up in the entertainment world. And uh, there's a lot of very interesting things in the book. And one of the things that uh, really resonated with me when you were talking about your time on Saturday Night Live, that the cast that you were a part of was very much a performer's cast and uh, as opposed to maybe a writer's cast. And that I couldn't say better myself. The performances uh, that you and your cast members put on at that time were simply amazing. Um, I'm curious to see, do you feel now when you watch the show, if you watch the show, do you feel it's more of a performer's cast or a writer's cast right now? What's your perception? I think it's a good mix right now. You know, I think, um, you know, I think um, politically, I think the show has a job to do, too, as well. It's an important voice in what's going on politically. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a priority that the show has as well. I think it's a really good mix right now. I mean, the writing is really strong and the performance is really strong. You know, it's uh, all around a great show and I watch it all the time. So I think one of the mix. yeah, I think one of the threads, too, from your cast in particular through now is when I think back to your cast, it's really when. I feel some of the female, uh, the female performers on the show really began to shine and became some of the feature performers that goes through to this day. I think, uh, with your cast with Molly, Molly Shannon and Sherry O'Terry and, and that group, they were such strong performers. And, uh, now to this current batch, mm-hmm. uh, I just, I just absolutely love it. Um, your, your show, yeah. when you come through town, I'm curious is what, what can fans of Chris Kattan and fans of comedy expect? Is it a standard stand-up show? Do you mix in uh, some improv? Can you give us an idea what to expect when you visit the castle? Well, it is. You know, I do have a set. It's a, it's a standard uh, stand-up show. However, I do talk a lot about SNL, and I tell stories about SNL, my experiences, and the characters I did, you know, and talk about them, and Mango, and Mr. Beepers, the Roxbury guys, and stuff like that. And what was it? You know, more cowbell, different sketches that I was in. You know, because a lot of the audience members like to hear those kind of stories, you know. Um, but I do, uh, you know, my background is, uh, in the Groundlings. I was, uh, that's where I was taught, you know, the Groundlings is the improv group in Los Angeles, uh, which is uh, similar to a second city for those who don't know. And your dad, and your dad was one of the founders of the Groundlings too, from what I understand. He was, he was one of the founders. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that was, uh, really cool to see him you know when i was a kid i used to watch him perform when i was like five six years old and also got to see people like Wee herman you know being created by paul rubens you know mm-hmm. and see how that was got to see that process and it really uh really influenced me as a as a, a creator you know and uh really uh made a big dent in me and um you know so i like to incorporate a lot of improvisation in my show too as much as i can you know as long as the audience is willing to play along you know, I think that keeps it fresh and fun and, and really, uh, really, it makes for a great evening, you know, makes for every show a little different. Well, there's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of comics have background in improv. There's a lot of people with a background in improv that go on to stand up. You're a little bit of a hybrid because you have a background in, uh, in improv. You do stand up, but you also were part of a huge live television show, which begs the question uh, of those three disciplines. Is there one that is nef- necessarily more difficult than the other? 
What you mean? Uh, yeah, stand up or television? Uh, stand up, improv, live performance, television. Is there um, is there I one that? Know. They're all. They're all. Well, I mean, they're all fun to do. I don't know what's more difficult than the other. I mean, you have to be more on your. You have to be on your toes for all three of them, really. I mean, they're all. Whether it's on on stage doing stand up or stage doing improv or on television, you know, or doing films, you know, you're always doing your A game. So um, it's all. It's all, it's all important, you know, and, and to have a good time doing it, you know, is most important. You know, that's what makes you who you are, you know, as a performer, you know, makes you different than anyone else. In the, in the book, obviously you talk about your time in the groundlings and, uh, and, uh, your, your father being one of the very first performers that goes, that goes way back. I'm curious, um, back in the day when you used to go see your dad perform, and I'm, I'm assuming that he must've seen you perform, uh, at the groundlings, I'm hoping many times was Stand up, yeah. or it was improv different when you were doing it in LA in the early '90s versus when your father was doing it in what I believe would have been the mid '60s, if I have my timeline correct. Uh, no, or no, '70s. Well, my dad doing stand up. Yeah, well, no, your dad 70s, doing yeah, improv. Okay, so, at the Grand Lakes. Yeah. So, yeah, no, no, no. The, the Grand Lakes starts in '75. So, uh, yeah, I think so. I think uh, you know I, everything, like every medium medium it becomes more fine-tuned and in comedy in general i think it was more i don't know maybe comedy could have been a little more broad back then because people were discovering characters and uh you know now they've been so finessed and and into more specific types of characters and people out there that you learn through observation but uh you know back then i think it was a little more I guess humor could have been more broad than back then, I guess I would say would be the difference. You know, maybe more physical, you know, I think back then. Well, one of the things... Now it's a lot more... I, I, I was just going to say, with even if I didn't oh. know, even if I didn't know your background, when I watch your performances, uh, uh, it, just physicality is such a part of it. <laughs> I love the story of yeah, one of your, yeah. you know, uh, I, I, gosh, I, 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 I'm trying to blank on his name, but one of uh, one of your castmates in Groundlings, uh, the big seven foot guy that you developed your character hanging, literally hanging from his upside down from oh, his yeah. shoulders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah his name is Roy Jenkins. I mean, that was all. Origin of Mr. Peepers, the, the missing link character I did. You know, he was so tall that he could hold my weight and, you know, I could bend over backwards and while wow, my legs were wrapped around his neck. It's pretty phenomenal. What I thought was so unique. And, you know, we found that through the discovery of improvisation, you know. Did you find uh, one and, of the. Uh, just, uh, I was uh, I was going to say that some of my my friends and colleagues that I've met over the years who come from an improv background, one of the things that I really admire about their relationships is that there was so much com- almost by definition. There's a, it seems to be a lot of camaraderie in esprit de corps from a, from an improv troupe, uh, whereas stand up can be a little bit more solitary. It seems to be a little bit more catty. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like there's support. Did you feel when you made the crossover into television uh, did you feel you had some of that same camaraderie with your cast members uh, on SNL, or was it more every person for themselves? No, I think there was a great deal of camaraderie, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. You know, um, even though not all of us had performed together, you know, like uh, Will and Sherry and I performed together, mm-hmm. uh, for sure, and did a lot of sketches, but there was a, there was a sense of camaraderie and, and, and performance and uh you know, like Molly had that, and, and a lot of people had that. When you know, a lot of people from Second City came on, and you know, like Jimmy, and you know, 
Kohler from UCB and, you know, we had a, we all had a, a sense of performance and, and knew how to write for ourselves as well. You know, so there was a great deal of camaraderie and that's what made our, I think what made our, our, our cast is exceptional. Any rivalry between the, uh, the UCB people, the second city people, uh, and the groundlings? Did the, did the Chicago people think they could, uh, outpace you guys or was it generally pretty collaborative? Oh, I don't think we ever really thought about who can outdo anybody. I don't think it was ever about that or comp- competition. It's just about making the show as good as it can be, you know, or at least, you know, a sketch or an idea as good as it can be when you would, uh, you know, think of an idea with another, uh, cast member, you know, so it wasn't about individualism. It was more about working together for sure. How about the thought process of creating a character versus creating a bit for 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 your stand up? Uh, creating a five minute segment for <laughs> stand up versus creating um, creating a character do, is is there a different thought process or do you do you, does something strike you as funny and you say, well, gosh, I could do something like this with this type of character, or I could present it in 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 my in, in my set as 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 a bit, uh, or is that too? <laughs> too complicated is uh, is a funny idea just a funny idea and you see where you go with it i think it, probably a funny idea is a funny idea you don't want to overthink things you know you let you leave room to be inspired and uh you know and and, and able to be uh open to whatever comes into your brain and not overthink stuff you know so um i think that's where the best place is to come from for sure when you're performing or or doing stand-up yeah doing any show for sure your um, your background that I learned from the book, you know, coming from your mom is a beautiful. Uh, gosh, she was in. Uh, I, I think you mentioned in the book that she was in the uh, the the one of the opening scenes of a Hard Day's Night. I mean that that's a pretty mm-hmm. that's a pretty good credit for a mom to have. And uh, uh, did some did some modeling yeah, and a, a very very beautiful woman. And your and your father, of course, a performer. So you kind of grew up in a family of entertainers and bon vivants. And you and you grew up at, at least to mainstream America in a different way, almost almost in a communal type lifestyle. And it seems to me that your imagination yeah. and, and a lot of these characters, although they may not have explicitly come from that time, w- when you were a child, um, were you a creative kid? Um, do some of the characters that we know you so well from now, do they take, uh, do, can we trace them all the way back uh, to those days? Um, do you mean the characters I did? Yeah, I'm just uh, when when you grew up for for those of you who don't know, and I, I hope I'm not mis mischaracterizing it, but it was almost kind of like a commune. You lived up at, you lived up in the hills. Uh, oh, oh, up there. Oh, yes, you mean the Zen Center? Oh, yeah, yes. the, the Zen Center. Uh, my so, mom and stepdad. Okay, yep, stepdad. Yeah. Uh, uh, it wasn't a commune. It was a Zen Center. It was, uh, you know, my mom and my dad met at a Zen Center and it called Shimron Zen Center in downtown L.A. And, um, you know, they, um, you know, then they divorced when I was two. My mom, uh, met, uh, my stepdad, who was a Zen monk. And, and then, you know, they still continued to, uh, uh, you know, understand Zen and, 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 and practice it and, and, uh, Buddhism. And, and, uh, you know, so I was, I grew up in a place called Mount Baldy, which is San Bernardino Mountains in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. In Los Angeles, it was, um, so it was like, a, it was a national forest. There wasn't, you know, I grew up in a cabin. It was very much like Mowgli, I guess, Jungle Book, you could say. And um, it was, uh, you know, not a lot to do. But on the weekends, I would go visit the cat uh, who was performing at the Groundlings. So it was such a different lifestyle, you know, the two different worlds. It was two different worlds, you know, 
go to one world and and then go back to the other one. You know, I did this for my whole childhood. You know, it was, it was an interesting balance. You know, did you? Um... Would you characterize yourself as a creative kid? Would you have ever believed in a million years that your life would take you where it's taken you? Uh, I, I, I didn't know. Yeah, I, I think so. I was. My mom always said you need to learn how to learn to uh, make something out of nothing. You know, and then taught me how to entertain myself. I didn't have a lot of things to, uh, you know, to uh, entertain myself in the sense of like, you know, there weren't no obviously YouTube's and there wasn't you know internet stuff like that to distract yourself so you really had not a lot in front of you in order to create stuff you know so uh you weren't bombarded with uh ideas and stuff to get yourself to becoming add yeah well, <laughs> so it was uh pr- probably really no, no uh to create i think probably no little league up on mount baldy i think <laughs> what i think one of the stories no, you tell in the book there, wasn't, there was like a little i think we had a softball team at one point but that was about it <laughs> yeah, it's like let's go outside and throw heavy rocks today. That would be uh, that, that would yeah. There that, was a lot of rock. Yes, sir. We did a lot of that swinging off branches. Hey, I'm, fun stuff like that. <laughs> I was curious. Uh, this may be a little bit random, but I actually I, I lived in L.A. in the early and mid '90s, and I went and saw improv a handful of times. And I don't know if this may have been a ground uh, a groundlings or UCB or, or or maybe some other troupe, but I saw a few episodes of the real live Brady Bunch. Do you remember when that ran in Westwood? And was that uh, was that a Groundlings production? If you do remember it, I do not think that had anything to do with Groundlings. I don't think so. I mean, I remember hearing about it. Yeah, but I don't think that was a Groundlings thing. Groundlings were just improv and sketches. I don't think they did the uh, okay. parodies. Yeah. I went, that was one of the first, uh, I think before I'd even seen live stand up, I had seen some improv and that I fell in love with that. Basically, it was an improv, uh, a lot of improv actors and some comedic actors who would recreate episodes of the Brady Bunch live. Uh, the dialogue was verbatim and it was hilarious. And then it, they ended up yeah. putting together a tour that did pretty well around the country, but, uh, just just the rush of seeing live a live performance um when you were when you were in your Saturday live days um were you actively doing stand up or is that something that came into your life uh later in your career i'm just curious to see was it uh was it something you always did uh, no actually it came later because i was so focused on uh, sketch and SNL, you know and then i got into television and film and then wasn't until later that I was uh, asked to do stand up, you know, and there's so many venues that were like, We'd love to see you do stand up and you know, so I, I learned how to do that. Maybe I got into that like eight years ago. So uh that became very involving and I, I fell in love with it. Fell in love with performing with the audience, you know, again, you know, go back out there and do live stuff, you know. And so it's a great mix right now to do television and films and that you know as well you know so it's a perfect medium right now well absolutely really we're at the, yeah, at, the com- at the comedy castle here just this winter alone we have yourself we have rob schneider coming in we have john lovett so we're uh we're we're, we're stocked with some snl alums and we're looking forward to seeing all of the shows uh gotta ask you i'd be remiss and our listeners would be so upset if i didn't ask you about more cowbell and your role and you have so many uh-huh. legends so many uh-huh. so many legendary skits but you know when i was watching the youtube playback i could be i could be mistaken but it actually seems like you knew a few chords <laughs> did you play the guitar at all or was it complete foolery well, i did learn some core i did learn some chords but someone else was playing the music actually so 
But I did learn the chords. You know, I was, uh, SNL does a really good job of, you know, making sure that you look believable in sketches, you know, so they'll teach you how to dance, they'll teach you how to, you know, sing and get to the musical number or, you know, and if you're playing an instrument, you know, they'll teach you how to, uh, the chords so that you can look like you're playing. I mean, I was, <laughs> I wasn't technically, I, when I was playing, you had a you had a pretty sweet uh, you had a pretty sweet axe. I think you had a Les Paul. I don't know if G maybe if G Smith was in the Saturday Night Live band at that time if he let you borrow one, but it looked like a pretty cool yeah, axe. No, he wasn't. The um, yeah yeah thanks. It was not G Smith. That was way before my time. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a guy by the name of John Zonars actually. So okay, yeah, we worked it out before I went out there and did the Mark Cowbell sketch. <laughs> Interestingly enough, when the uh, hey was that was that one of the ten to midnight sketches when it originally aired? Um, where was it in the show? Do you recall? That I believe, or the ten to one I believe sketches it became the first sketch of the night. Oh, okay, so well, yeah, okay, um, yeah. The uh, interestingly enough, I, I have a recollection of. I'm assuming I watched it live, but. Uh, I actually was a fan of Blue Oyster Cult thanks to the Columbia House Records and Tapes Club. And when I first would, oh, I, wow. you, you, you actually kind of looked like the guitar player for Blue Oyster Cult, an old guy named Buck Dharma. Oh, really? And, yeah. And I didn't know at first I was like, Oh, are they going to do? And, and of course, as it turns out, Blue Oyster Cult had very little to do, uh, with, with the sketch other, other than, uh, obviously, obviously the song. Another thing, uh, and I know we've got to wrap up here, um, that I learned, uh, in, in, in researching for this interview and in the book is that, one of the things that became so legendary and has lived all these years from that sketch was when you kind of, um, you really kind of laid into Will Ferrell physically, uh, when he kind of came to, to lean over you. And isn't that what caused his, like, uh, his sweater to pop up and his glasses to fly off? Wasn't that you, uh, actually? Well, his belly was already kind of, his belly was already there appearing because he wore a small sweater, uh, and, um, you know, shorter than usual. But when I pushed him, it fell out even more. And I think it surprised Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what made him break. So, well, there's uh, a lot of things. When we broke character. Yeah, I, 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 well, he asked me before, between dress and, between dress and air, uh, Will asked me if I could push him really hard. When I say my line, don't blow this for its Jeep. <laughs> so I pushed him really hard. And that's when his belly fell out even further. And, uh, you know, I think he was surprised to see that I actually could, uh, had the strength to push him over because he's a tall guy. You know, even though I'm relatively small, I'm actually kind of strong. I'm like kind of built like an ant, really. So yeah, it's uh, you. You 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 seem to pack a pretty powerful punch. And I always I always work a um, as many compliments as I can into anyone who's gracious enough to come on our show. But I have to say, in all my years of being a Saturday Live fan, one of the most underrated impressions is your Carrie Strug impression from way back in the day. And then I think that evolved. You played her brother, but gosh, if, if some of our listeners are too young to remember who Carrie Strug was, she was an Olympic gold medal gymnast, uh, gosh, from whatever Olympics that were. And you were kind of a dead ringer physically, but the way you did the impression of her was, was one of my all time favorite. That had to be been a fun one to do. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. He has a word, very high pitch for us. Like, I am Carrie Strug from the Olympics. <laughs> very high pitch for I played her pictures with her Kippy, a sketch I wrote with Robert Smigel. That's right. And, uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, she was a, a big Olympic gold medalist winner and uh, nine, back in 96. So, yeah, that was really a treat to do. She broke her ankle after she did vault. So it was really yep. uh, a big deal at the time. 
was there ever a time when um I, i've got to assume as a, as a, as as the time went on as an experienced cast member when uh when that week's guest host would show up for the monday read throughs and whatnot there must have been times where you know you're human you would judge them and say okay this person ha- is going to be awful this this is going to be a train wreck was there ever a time when the guest host you uh, assume the worst and they uh, pleasantly surprised you was there anyone in particular that you didn't think was going to be great and they were awesome uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there was someone I doubted, you know, with surprise, uh, you know, everybody, I mean, Tom Hanks is amazing and Jim Carrey and there's amazing guest hosts I work with. I don't think there was anyone I thought wasn't going to be good. Um, you know, I have to think about that. I know, I know sometimes, I know sometimes I know. the, the athletes, uh, at least as my opinion as, as a fan from the show, sometimes the athletes kind of have a tough time crossing over. But then also there's athletes like, gosh, even in recent vintage, Peyton Manning, when he was on the show, he was terrific. Yeah. I thought Joe Montana did a pretty good job way back, uh, way back when. Yeah, I remember watching, like recently, um, Harry Styles, that was really great. He was. Absolutely, absolutely he was. And then, yeah, of course. Uh, and of course, Eddie Eddie Murphy's triumphant return was just a great oh, hour yeah, and a half. Eddie Murphy. It just seemed like he was having a blast. Oh, well, we've had a blast yeah, having he's having you on. You've been gracious with your time. We're so looking forward to seeing you this Sunday here in Detroit. I can't tell you what it's 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 about twenty degrees today. It's supposed to go up to fifty. I think when you get here this weekend, it's going to be back into just nasty. <laughs> nasty Midwest uh, January weather, but we'll pack the place out and have have some oh. fun with your laughter, and we're looking forward to seeing you. Uh, make sure everyone goes and checks out Baby Don't Hurt Me. I got it on Audible. Interesting, Chris. If Even if our relationship does not prosper beyond today, I will always remember you for the <laughs> fact that it is the very first book I ever got on Audible. People have suggested, I've always, I've read books my wow. whole life, and I'm like, all right, I'll give Audible a try, and I've enjoyed it. You, you're, you're, yes, your book has accompanied me running errands, going on appointments, working out. And, uh, it's, it's interesting just hearing someone read to you an interesting story. So I guess that's a plug for audible too. Chris, thanks again. So doing this best of luck to you. We're looking forward to seeing you Sunday and, uh, safe travels. All right, man. Thank you so much. Can't wait to see see you. Bye-bye. At the Comedy Castle, uh, back in the legendary hallway, there's a sign above the door that says, Paul Pizzik's You Owe Us Money. Where's, where, where does that come from? What Reveal it's it. It's funny because uh, it's a long-held mystery that uh, I don't even know. It was just there one day. Joel Fragamenti pointed out, hey, Paul, and he points up, and there's this 8.5 by 11 sheet of white paper posted above the stage door and uh, says, Paul Pizzik, you owe us money or something. And um, every time, ever since then, I've bombed. Like, I have <laughs> bombed for years now. No, I haven't. But I always think that when I go out. I think, oh, my God, this is this is like hanging over my head. But um, So there's nothing you didn't... working out. They keep having me back. So you, I you, like it. You didn't do a mic drop? You didn't You didn't bust one of the, the castle's $1,000 Shure microphones no. just in a fit of rage? Yeah, totally. They always have such well-working microphones. <laughs> microphones. 
I was actually, uh, I was actually there. Our, our producer Joel will remember this. Uh, this was probably a month or two ago. I was up there for an open mic, and I think the third guy out, maybe his second time on stage, thought it'd be a cool thing to do a mic drop. <laughs> that's that's a surefire way to get yourself invited invited back. <laughs> your yeah, your totally. career ends before it the equipment begins. So, Paul, you so you're a local guy, if I understand. Are you uh, Detroit based? I've, I've crossed paths with yeah. you a few times, but I don't know a ton about your story. Where are you from? Yeah, I'm, I live here in Royal Oak, so Comedy Castle is my home stage. Um, it's you know it's the A room in the Midwest, so it's nice to have it right in my backyard. Um, and uh, it was the first time I ever did comedy was at the Comedy Castle stage. And, uh, you know, every time I go there, it gives you a little extra, a little extra tickle in your stomach to like, you know, you want to make this a good show because this is the, you know, big leagues. Are you an original settler of Royal Oak, Michigan, or did you come after the fact? Were you there when it was a dusty old railroad stop on the way to Birmingham? Well, I moved up here from the riots in Detroit. I settled the southern part of Royal Oak. <laughs> Going that far back, huh? Yeah. Back in the, the riots of 67 brought yep. you up to Royal Oak? Yep. I thought I'd bring a little bit of white privilege to the area. It was lacking in that there were still Indians back <laughs> then. So uh, we do what we do best. We kicked them out, and it's been very Royal Oaky ever since. It's topical, especially if this uh, episode airs on time. But some sad news in Royal Oak. Yeah, Pasquale's the best pizza in 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 America, in my opinion. Are you a Pasquale's fan? I think it's closing next it's couple weeks. Right across the road, pretty much from where I live, and Pasquale's. Yeah, I think they've been there. Well, they were across the street where the Redcoat Tavern is now, and then they moved to the current location in like '82 or something like that. But you know they're going to tear down the building and they'll put up a multi uh, multi retail unit where we can all go and buy more of the things that will soon uh, be floating in the ocean in the giant garbage patch that uh, we all enjoy seeing on Facebook. I think we need another LA Fitness. If this, I mean, we we need another LA Fitness desperately in this town. I like to call it La Fitness. <laughs> well, maybe that is the name. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So one thing I'm trying to collect on these shows, and we'll see how it turns out, but um, being ostensibly a Detroit-based show and a Detroit-based club, tell me a car story. It can be your first car. It can be what you're driving oh. now. Anything that may be of interest regarding our greatest product here in Detroit. Hmm. What a great way to go on that one. Well, um, let's see. Are you a Fiero guy? A Fiero. Oh, my gosh. Well, that was my first. When I was, it came out in 84, I think. Uh, And I was 14 then. And I had a poster from an advertisement from a People magazine or something, some sort of (laughs) fold-out of the Pontiac Fiero. Anything I could get my hands on Fiero, I put it on my bedroom wall. I thought it was the coolest car, man. They look like little Blade Runner. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to, you know, every, every now and again, you see one on the roads. There's like, a, I was at a car show where there's a Fiero Club, but if I remember correctly, I think they were, pla- they weren't even fiberglass. I think they were plastic bodied two seat sports car of the future. Exactly. Right. That That lasted about four years. Yeah, they must have been just total crap. Just must have been horrible, but, uh, 
when you're 14 that you know what do you know you don't know anything yeah well my my uh my first car was a 1976 Chevy Nova with a lime green exterior and a plaid interior. Oh, wow. Well, that would be worth some big bucks these days. Yeah. That, uh, that and my wonderful complexion and antisocial personality helped me out with the ladies tremendously. Sure. <laughs> Hey, so I think one thing that is interesting about your background that I know of it is you're you're one of the type of guys who's uh, active on the Midwest circuit. You tour around, certainly you play the castle, but you kind of um, you kind of straddle a couple worlds. You're in the business world and you're in the comedy world. What uh, what's funnier? Do you encounter? Do you have more? Uh, do you have more occurrences on the road as a comic that make their way into your act, or more uh, things that happen in your uh, professional life in the business world? Mm. You know, I would say my done uh, some major themes, I think, that are going on and, and really kind of affect me. My, my work in, in comedy life really don't make it so much into the act either way, just because, I guess, of how my brain thinks. You know, if I'm smart enough to write an idea down um, and then later I can work on it, I find that if I look at my acts, uh, they fall into a certain set of categories, like environmental, racial, um, a little bit of uh, political, um, gay rights. Uh, I'm not gay, but for some reason, uh, you know, it always it, when you're dealing with the underdog uh, situations where there's an underdog character um you know i'm always kind of like rooting for for the oh absolutely do, <laughs> do, you, do you find that your um do your co-workers who don't know that you're a comic and you say something funny or the funny mm. guy around the water cooler do they say you should go into comedy paul all the time absolutely and what do and you then tell they them? ask me is this going to be in your act it's going to be <laughs> hey this this this, this is going to be in your act right but I do have a joke um, about um, an office shooting. And sometimes I have people who come from my work come see my set, and I don't edit for anybody. So I talk about an office shooting in my set. And I never really had anybody react bad to that, but I always wonder, like, geez, should I really go for it and talk about at work shooting when uh, my coworkers are here. Oh well, I guess it'll <laughs> give, give them something to look out at, look out for. Well, yeah, I, I can imagine too. When you've got when you when you're in the professional world and you've got coworkers who know the business side of you, and they come out and see you at the club tearing it up and doing your act, that's got to be kind of a rush. It's it's always a thrill to come out when you see somebody from your office sitting in the front row, and you didn't expect to see them, and it's. Kind of like the Seinfeld episode with the captain of the airliner sitting in the audience for ruined Jerry's show. Um, it always reminds me of that. Because they sit there silently and judge you, and you're going to have to live with whatever you do. Like, that's what they're going to imagine you do that one time. If you come out and you make a mistake, they're going to think, oh, that guy's a hack. Good thing he's got a J job. Well, make sure make sure you tell your coworkers about the not only the Comedy Castle, but the Comedy Castle podcast. Have them listen to this. Guilt them into coming out. It's going to be a great weekend. Again, you are there the 11th through the 13th with uh, Dean Delray. 
Uh, we've got Alex Price opening up the shows. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. I plan on being there myself. And is there anything else we can plug, Paul? You got the new T-shirts, new coffee mugs, coasters out. <laughs> uh, I don't want. I always, I always feel bad for uh, you know the people who have to walk by the comedian they don't want to look at when they're <laughs> selling. So I spare them that. But I always think I, I need to have some sort of merch, but I don't. Uh, I do have a show this weekend. I'll be uh, at the. Uh, of course, you don't want to hear that, but you being from the Comedy Castle, but I'll be at the. Uh, Back Alley Comedy Club in Muskegon this Saturday. Yeah, I don't think those two markets overlap. No, I think not Mark, at all. Uh, Mark may allow us to to not edit that one out. That'd be great. Do we, Joel? Are we pulling many people from uh, the metropolitan Muskegon area to Castle shows anymore? I'm sure people come. But I'm not sure <laughs> the volume. Uh, we may be able for. I don't know. You know. We'll uh, we'll send that to the appropriate uh, department, Paul. That may or may not make it on. So, okay, Paul, I'm going to let you go. Thanks for taking time. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. It was a pretty good Frankenstein's monster of a show, if, if I don't say so myself. Thank you, <laughs> thank you to Chris Catan and Paul Physics for doing those interviews several years ago. They're as relevant as ever. Uh, I hope you I hope you enjoyed them. And I do think. Uh, not only do I think, I know. I've become a much stronger interviewer today than I was three, three and a half years ago. But if I were to interview Chris Kattan today, I don't know that it would go any better. <laughs> I just think he doesn't have um, it, 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 making a podcast host or a radio host uh, happy is not uh, at the top of his list. And I don't necessarily begrudge him that. All right. Thank you, dear listener. Thank you for supporting the show. Spread the word. Subscribe. Leave a comment. Why don't you? Come up and say hi if you see me out and about. I always like running into listeners when I'm out on the town, usually at the Comedy Castle. I'll run into uh, a, a listener. Uh, thank you to Joel Fragameni, who produces it for us each and every week. Thank you to all of you once again. Until next time, this is Tom McCarthy for Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle Podcast. Mm-hmm.